Good morning. Today's reading is from the book of Philippians, chapter three, verses one to eleven. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks, Maria. If you can keep your Bibles open to uh, Philippians chapter three, that'd be great. And let's pray that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you are God who speaks. Your words have created the heavens and the earth. You've word, your words have uh, brought into existence the church, and your word sustains the church. And so, Lord, we now look to you to speak through these words and to build us up. In Jesus' name, Amen. If I had to be a dog and I could choose anywhere I could live、uh, in this world, I might. Be born. I might choose to be born in Hong Kong, because people seem to love their dogs here. They dress them up. They carry them around.、Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a dog in a pram before I came to Hong Kong. Some choose to have dogs instead of children. I think they dote on their dogs just as they would、um, on their children. But even in Hong Kong, verse two would be an insult, wouldn't it? Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He says some of the harshest things that he could say to anyone. So, who are these people that he calls dogs? Well, they're most likely Judaizers, those who were saying that Christians need to become Jews to take on the Jewish laws in order to be、uh, counted as God's people. And among the customs that they thought that Christians should take on is circumcision,、uh, which is why Paul says here that they that they're mutilators of the flesh. 
And if you are a new Christian, it might be worth knowing that circumcision goes back to covenant with Abraham. When God put, uh, called Abraham, he, uh, gave them the covenant of, he gave them the covenant of the circumcision to set him apart from all the rest of the people, from the Gentiles, to set uh, his people apart as God's holy people, marked, with God's, uh, marked as God's people in the flesh. And what's interesting here is that Paul doesn't say then, well, you don't need circumcision. That's not what he says. Here, he says, we, we in verse 3, we the Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, whether physically circumcised or not, we are the circumcision. The physical circumcision symbolizes what would happen in the spirit, by the spirit. In another letter, he wrote, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. A circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, Romans 2, 29. What's important is that the person is not physically circumcised, but that person has received the Holy Spirit. He's, being, he's been set apart by God's spirit as God's people. And so he goes on to say, we are then the one who serve God by his spirit. And once again, I think he's putting a contrast here. We don't live by the law, but we, buy his, we live by his spirit. We have been released from the law, Romans chapter 7, 6, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. It's no longer the written law that governs how we live. It's the spirit living in us that governs. We, we, we follow the leading of the spirit. And this is why Christians then boast of Jesus Christ and his work alone, because this is what Christ had made possible by his death and rising again and sending of the Spirit. We can then boast in Christ alone, because those who rely on the works of the law might boast in their outward signs, the circumcision, how much they tithe, how faithfully they attend church, how, how faithfully they attend prayer meeting, even how they serve. And Paul and true Christians know that the only thing that we have to boast is Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, he says in Galatians 6:14. Christians have no confidence in the flesh, not in our accomplishments, but only in what Christ has done for us, only in the grace of Christ that comes by faith. If you look to 9, he summarizes everything. He summarizes that, verse 9, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I don't know too many people who still insist that Christians should become Jews to take on markers of Jewish people, uh, not in Shatin Church at least, but the impulse towards self-righteousness, self-justification, impulse towards keeping of the law, uh, impulse towards doing things right to feel good about ourselves, actually, that's something that we should all watch out. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, because it's all around us. It's there, if you think about it, but in all the people who reject Jesus, saying, well, I don't need Jesus, because in the end, well, I'm not that bad. Compared to everybody else, well, I'm probably above average. That's self-righteousness. Watch out for those dogs. It's in other religions as well. In a lecture before Parliament of Religion in Chicago, 1893, a Hindu theologian spoke. And he said, uh, Hindus refuses to call you sinners. 
You are the children of God, the sharers of immortal bliss, holy and perfect beings. You divinities of, on earth, sinners? It's a sin to call a man a sinner. It's standing libel on human nature. The underlying assumption is that human nature is stuff of divinity, that it's a good thing. The underlying human nature is goodness, that we can be good on our own. Watch out for those dogs. But of course, the context here is that Paul's speaking to people in the church, people who come to church, who attend church faithfully, people who are really good, so people like many of you, religious people who are especially good, those people whose confidence is in their discipline, in their righteousness, in their goodness. They're a bit like, I've told all these stories before, but they're a bit like John Wesley in Oxford days when he belonged to uh, the Holy Club. This was literally the name, the Holy Club. John Wesley was already a son of a pastor, grew up in the church and full of good works. He and his friends formed the Holy Club in Oxford and they visited prisoners, visited uh, slum children, fed them, educated them. Uh, They observed Sabbath on Saturday and on Sunday. Uh, They went to church and to communion. They searched for the scriptures. They fasted and prayed. But these people trusted in their own good works, in their own self-righteousness. He, a few years later, wrote that he came to trust in Christ and Christ only for salvation and was given an inward assurance that he didn't have, the inward assurance that his sins had been taken away and forgiven. He wrote, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. That's why self-righteousness is so dangerous within the church because it makes a free person a freed person, you and me, the children of God, into servants, into slaves. Watch out for those dogs. It's in all of us. Where is your confidence? Is it in your own righteousness or is it in the righteousness of Christ that comes as a gift, as a free gift to you through faith? I guess... John Wesley, I think, was like Paul in his days. Look at the reasons that, uh, why Paul uh, uh, could have been confident in, in his own works. Uh, Paul, I think, out, would have outdone Wesley, and he knew it. That's what he says in verse 4. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He had the advantage of parentage. He was circumcised on the eighth day. The people of, Hebrew, uh, people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. If anyone was a Jew, he says, I was a Jew. In regards to the law, he was a Pharisee, which means that he kept the law pharisaically. Right? This is where we get that word. It means that Pharisees kept the law that was reserved for the priests only, for themselves. They actually, as lay people, they kept these laws because they wanted to be set apart. They really wanted to be as holy as possible, and so they were. Not only that, he reminds them that he was a zealot. He wasn't a passive, a quiet person. He was zealous for his uh, faith, even persecuting the church. He concludes in verse 6, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I don't know too many people who could say that. 
I mean, I don't care what you think about his claim, but who could say that? Especially the people who are trying to keep the law. I can't say that for myself. Can you? No matter what you think of it, it's something, isn't it? And that's why the next verse is so striking, so shocking. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Everything else is a loss, is garbage, literally crap compared to Christ. Uh, you might not know this, uh, but Niels had a great future ahead of him in the Netherlands until he met EJ. Uh, when EJ moved to London, uh, Niels did as well. <laughs> He's an engineer and a logical thinker. I wonder if he made a sort of a list, uh, as one does, and, when, and trying to make a difficult decision. Pros and cons list. Uh, I wonder what he thought about some of the cons. He had to move to a different country. Look for a different job, establish new relationships and new networks, have to work in a different language. And I lived in London for four years. Weather in London is not good. The food in London is terrible. It's expensive to live there. If you're from London, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, <laughs> so you only see the sun in the summer just for, I mean, you, you glory in the sun because that's the only time you see the sun. <laughs> it's quite a good list of cons there. And I imagine Neil's having one thing on the other side, on the pro list, I get to be near EJ. And the choice was clear, and you moved. You might have said, I, I didn't have a choice about it. It's like that with Paul. Right? There are so many things on one side. His parentage, his achievements, his righteousness, his work as a zealot, his faultlessness. But one compare to the other column, it just outweighed. The choice was clear. It wasn't a contest. You heard him say that actually, that it was rubbish. It's literally crap compared to knowing Christ. I think what he wants to say was that it wasn't just neutral. These things weren't just not uh, counted as neutral, but these things were actually crap. These things were something that was smelly and dirty compared to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. It's worse than nothing because they positively could distract him from knowing Christ. That takes him away from relying on Christ. It's crap. I wonder if that's how you think of your relationship with God and the gift that you've received. Everything else compared to it is crap. Knowing Christ should be such good news. Knowing Jesus is such good news that everything else should compare as nothing, less than nothing, worth nothing, crap. As you know, Barney was born a few weeks back. The first chance I had uh, uh, to be alone with him, I took him in, in my arms, I laid my hands on him, and I prayed for him. Um, I, I didn't get much sleep, so I'm a little bit emotional. <laughs> I, I prayed for him, and this is what I prayed for him. I laid my hands on him, I prayed that he would come to know Jesus all his life, 
all of his life that he would know that that he's loved by God, that he that, that he, he he's a forgiven sinner, um, that he's part of God's community all of his life. They would come to know Jesus Christ. Of course, I would like him to grow up, does decently in his in his school, play badminton and tennis with me, go off to university, get a decent job, marry, make us grandparents, and etc. Uh, there are other things on that list uh, as well, but there's one thing on that other side that would just make me just so much happier, right? All this, he, he ha- he, if he has, but he doesn't have this, it would just make me so sad. And that one thing is knowing Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid that, in fact, if his good looks, which I'm afraid that he's going to have, his schooling... <laughs> his job or wife, his successes, if any of them take him away from knowing Christ, I would hope that he would consider everything crap. Walk away from them to know Christ, to have him as his Lord and be found in him. Friends, let's put things in perspective. All that you have, all that you've achieved, you will gladly give up on the day of Jesus' return, gladly. All that you want your children to have, how you're raising them, you would just give them up on the day that Jesus Christ comes back. Is this the most important thing that you have? Is this how you're raising your children? To have confidence and hope in Christ? Or is it your diploma? Is it your wealth? Is it your looks? Is it your power? Is it your religious self-righteousness? Look at these longing words in verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. If you treasure Christ, this is what you would get up each day for, to know Christ, to serve him each day. And treasuring Christ is the only way that you can live a Christian life. You can live a Christian life. In fact, it's the only way, the only thing that makes the Christian life possible to treasure Christ. Think about all the things that Paul has asked us to do in Philippians so far. To put the gospel first. To conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ, to be united, to suffer for Christ, to imitate Christ's humility, to other, put other people's interests before ours, to do everything without grumbling or arguing, to shine like the stars in the sky, to be like Timothy by putting the interest of the gospel first, to be like Epaphroditus, risking our lives even for the sake of the gospel. It's only possible if you treasure Christ. If we say to live is Christ and to die is gain, We talked about that a few weeks back, and I think he clarifies even more here in this text, in verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. To live is Christ means to suffer, to die, like Christ, so that we might come to know his power of his resurrection. That's the shape of Christian discipleship, death and life. Once again, don't, don't believe people who say life as a Christian should just be easy. It should just be a, a, a smooth sail. It's joyful, 
but it shouldn't be easy, easy. It's not easy to suffer like Christ, giving up our rights in order to put the preference of other people, giving up our money so that others might hear the gospel, giving up our energy so that others might be invigorated, giving up our time so that others might, time might be enriched, giving up justice so that we can forgive. To be united with Christ means to be united like him in his suffering, to become like him in his death. And this type of thinking really is the opposite of what this culture says. One of the biggest challenges I think that capitalism has brought into this world is that it's made us consumers. It's made us consumers. We earn money and we consume things. That's how we live. You know, in a small village, if you needed something fixed, you need to know somebody and ask that somebody to come, right? You, didn't need, you needed that relationship. Now we pay money. We don't need to know anybody. We can be self-sufficient as long as we have money. We consume things. In fact, in a city like Hong Kong, surrounded by people, all of our relationship often is just consumer relationship. We, cons we get things from other people, often by paying money. Living in a big city makes things worse. And we consume things in the church. We ask, what can this church give me? Why should I commit to a church? Why should I give anything? Which church can give me the most? I want to know Christ. To know the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. That's not consumer mentality, is it? It's radically different. It's radically Christ-centered mentality. It's radically other-centered mentality. It's mentality that says, I'm going to give my life away so that others might be enriched. I'm going to give myself away so that the gospel could advance. I'm going to give myself away so that church could be built up. Do you want to know Christ that way? For those who die with Christ, who are united with him in this way? Well, death isn't the end, though. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In fact, the power that drives us to want to do this is the power of resurrection working in us, killing our selfishness. It's the resurrection power, making us more and more holy. That's the resurrection power working in us. If we die with Christ, we will experience this resurrection power now. And also, when Jesus comes back, we will experience that in, in its fullness, in full glory. When God makes us into people who's fit for his glorious, weighty presence. And on that day, nothing that we've given up will feel like a sacrifice, but only privileges. Nothing that is not Christ that we have cherished will feel like treasure, but rubbish. Friends, we've been given this great gift, Christ's righteousness. He is our great treasure. Long to know him. Long to know the fellowship in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray.
Lord, we give you great praise for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to, for him to have lived his life on earth, to die for us, to rise again for us, that he died the sinner's death so that we might be counted as righteous. And Lord, help us to long to know you more. Help us to long to, the, long, uh, to know the richness of knowing you every day. Help us to be united in his suffering. Die like him each day so we might know your power of resurrection working in us that looks forward to the great power that will raise us again in the new creation. And more than anything else, help, help us know the goodness of the gospel, to treasure it, to count everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. Amen. We're going to now offer our gifts. Um, it's, uh, it's all